0: Welcome to the Order of Initiative, a D&D podcast where me and my friends talk about Dungeons & Dragons, DMing, and everything to do with running the game. Today, we're talking about villains, and how to design an effective one for your Dungeons & Dragons campaign. I'm Charles, and today we've got Nathan. Hello! Willis. Hello. And I'm still Charles. Alright. First thing, let's roll initiative and see who's going to lead the conversation.
1: Fuck! I left my dice dice in another room.
0: Oh my god! I got a nat 1. What the fuck?
2: (laughs) I'm looking at a 12 over here.
0: I cannot believe that every single time there's a nat 1 or nat 20 by someone.
2: You know, uh... Some weeks we got the real good luck, and some weeks we got real bad luck. We can't just... Okay. It just just won't even out.
1: (laughs) Ah. Okay. I got a nat 20.
2: Are you fucking serious? (laughs) Yeah. It evened out. (laughs) What the hell is this luck?
0: (laughs) All right, Willis,
1: what do you think about villains? Um, Villains are bad people, and they should feel bad about being bad. (laughs) No. Well, see you guys next (laughs) week. That's it. We've covered everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't really think of anything to add to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um I think villains can be really they are as important a character as even some of your player characters cuz without, you know, something to go against, the the players, you know, they're just kind of you know, not not really doing anything worthy, you know. And, and villains don't always have to be like a person. They could be you know, nature, or you know, the system, the man. man. Yes.
0: Yeah, that it's almost like um, an antagonist, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't know. I don't know if it's worth getting into the nitty gritty definitions, but like, uh, in in general literature, you've got your. Man versus man, man versus self, man versus nature. Right? Those are usually like your your breakdowns. Yeah. of Your antagonist. Man
1: versus God. In this case, literally. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <Man> <laughs> Sometimes versus yeah. no God. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot you know, of them. Whatever. There's a few.
0: Do you think there's a? Uh, well, I mean, I I think there is. But what do you think the difference is between a villain and just your run of the mill enemy, like? a goblin you fight like a goblin opposes the party sure probably briefly with what how much health they have like six <laughs> um if they're lucky. so what's the difference between your like regular old goblin and a full-blown villain
2: scale i think is the first thing that comes to mind for me um because like we we're joking about that the whole six hp that goblin has isn't gonna be a huge impediment to the party that's a long sword hit uh whereas you know your villain uh is, is, is going to, you know, it's not just going to be a sack of hit points, they're, you know, performing potentially performing machinations or uh, maybe they are just a bigger sack of hit points but I think scale is the, the first more important thing uh, that would differentiate them from a run-of-the-mill stat block you're throwing at your party.
1: hmm
0: I think I also think about, like, personal stakes. Most enemies you throw at, um, your party, can be almost faceless. I don't know if I'd always recommend that. Um, But, you know, not every single enemy they fight is going to have a fully fleshed out backstory, you know, especially if you're throwing, like, wild animals at them or straight up monsters. But a villain can have that more, like, personal touch to it. Like, maybe they... How are they, like, directly opposing the party? Did they kill an NPC they like? Did they physically wrong the party? Did they betray them? Um, personal touches make it seem like a more personal story and a more personal enemy. I would agree to that. What you, what you got, Willis? What do you think?
1: Um, yeah, I think the who who your villain is is like a really big part of it. Like you can have um, that bad guy king. You know who's uh, oppressing the kingdom, but if your characters are not part of the kingdom, what's to stop them from going? Well, let's just move to the next, you know, country. They, we don't have to stay.
0: <laughs> yeah, there should definitely be like clear consequences for inaction. I think. I also think about like um villains in t- in terms of like tiers, right? So, uh, something I like doing is setting up this enemy, maybe he's like a, a goblin chieftain, um, and he's, you know, even that has tears, so like you're fighting underlings of this chieftain just to get to him, and then after finally defeating him, you find out that he's serving some greater lord, and you can kind of work your way up that ladder and uh, keep moving on to bigger and bigger threats that were all part of the same chain.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think something that could be interesting that you can do later is you're fighting this goblin chieftain. Who's, um, he's given the party a hard time. And then you find out that uh, he's just, you know, he's working for that, that other guy. And then when you're getting to the other guy, you're all of a sudden fighting like six goblin chieftains and you're, the, the party is, you know, like crushing them. And it's, it's like, I can't believe we used to have trouble with this guy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a cathartic mm-hmm. thing. Like the what used to be a boss is now just a regular yep, enemy.
1: It leads to a sense of growth.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: So how do
2: you go about making villains? Would be sort of my next thing. It's I think that's an important step we gotta gotta look at before we can progress through a series of them. Uh, you know, do you do you prefer you know the unrepentantly evil villains, or do you like uh, do you prefer more? Uh, nuanced villains that you can agree with
0: i think there's a place for your like overtly evil villains Um, definitely depending on your tone if you're not going for a super serious tone then you can have your like mustache twirling sunday morning cartoon villain right not a whole lot of depth of them but certainly fun to play as i personally i like doing something a bit more compelling and answer your question Nathan I start from the basis of creating a hero which I think is incredibly effective if you want a rounded and fleshed out villain or character in general get, walk through their motivations I think the the place a hero and a villain uh, and a villain deviates is their methods and how far they're willing to go so you know the players are probably determined to save the world And your villain, from his perspective, his or her perspective, probably also thinks they are saving the world. But maybe they're willing to throw a couple hundred thousand people on the bonfire to get that end. I always think of um, Osmond Deus from Watchmen, right? Clearly the antagonist slash villain of the series. And spoilers for a fucking 40-year-old comic book. Um,
2: And if you haven't read it by this point... It's your fault anyways. Go read Go read
0: Watchmen. <laughs> you should read it. It's phenomenal. So spoilers for the ending. Osmond Deus foresaw World War III and to prevent it created uh, a seemingly external threat to make humanity come together. But to sell that threat, he basically nuked a city. And, you know, it, 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 it's such a good ending. He arguably does save the world. But at what cost? It's definitely it's, it's like such an interesting thing.
2: Is, they're definitely like building up. There, it's like, oh, you know, uh, USSR and the USA are coming in for some negotiations. But it, I, I think it does a good job of leaving it vague. But this isn't the Watchmen Hour. Uh, sorry. Uh,
0: I'm, hey, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, I, the more I think about it, I think it's such a a good example. Like the character is literally a hero. Um, in terms of, like, the worldview even before this event. And after it happens, the main characters don't take him down because exposing it would undo the good. So then you just have two bad things.
2: Also because the uh, one of the guys that uh, agreed with him at that point was an omnipotent god, and the one guy that tried got <laughs> exploded.
0: It did get a little exploded. Um, yeah, I, j- I don't know. I always, like... Always loved Osmond Deus as a perfect example of a somewhat—I uh, don't want to say justified villain, but you—I mean, you understand where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, I think. Sorry, I should let someone else talk, but I have lots of uh, lots of villains I, I can think of. Uh,
2: the idea I usually go for when I'm making villains, the one I like is I actually I, I look at Star Wars. Uh, the original trilogy. I was just about to talk about the Emperor. <laughs> because because I love unrepentantly evil villains, but I think, I agree with you that you need a, a character that's more sympathetic, that has a personal character. You don't, the Emperor is very much that, yes, I want to take over the galaxy and blow up planets, I'm so evil. <laughs> but the villain, he doesn't really show up as like, an actual villain till the third movie. Up until that point, the face of the empire is Darth Vader, and he is that character that has, you know, a, a character and emotions and feelings, and that's the 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 villain that not only the heroes but the audience are interacting with more. So I, I I like having that dark evil force that needs to be overthrown, but the face of my uh, party's uh, obstacles generally will be somebody that they can if not overtly reason with it, at least sympathize with.
0: Here's a question. And I honestly don't even know what I would say. Which character do you think is more effective as a villain Vader or the emperor?
2: I would say, See, I,
0: don't, I don't fucking know
2: <laughs> that, that. Yeah. That's a tough one. If, if I had to say as a villain, I would, they both serve different purposes. is The weird thing is so. It, yeah. Yeah. I I would say Vader just because you know like I said he's the face of the Empire for a majority of that trilogy, uh, the Emperor kind of just shows up there at the end, uh, to for the big climax of it and to allow Vader the opportunity to uh, renounce his 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 dark his his dark side, uh, but Palpatine in the in the prequel trilogy has a different story. I think I think he wins it in that case.
0: Mm-hmm. Schemic, well, do you have any, uh, any thoughts about that? I want to make sure you get a chance to. Talk uh, about
1: it. <laughs> as far as uh, the villainy of Vader and uh, Palpatine, I don't know. I could, I could probably talk about it for a while, but uh, it's one of those things where it's just like there's so much. in like, well, good news—you're go. on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> something I was actually kind of thinking—that's a little, a little bit of a different direction—is. Uh, it got me thinking with how Palpatine isn't, you know, quite the face of uh, the villainy. How do you guys feel about starting with like no villain? Like the the party has a task that they have to complete, and then once they complete this task, then they find out oh there's there's a bad guy and he's doing bad things. Uh,
2: yeah, I I do that. That's that's actually how I prefer to do
0: it. Do you mean in terms of your planning or what you presented when you say there's no villain?
1: Um, ugh. sometimes I, in one of the recent campaigns, I started out with no, no villain in mind. And I was starting with kind of like a, here's here's a task. And as they were working through this task, I was kind of like formulating who this villain was going to be. Um, you know, maybe it's going to be an NPC. Maybe it's going to, I'm bring, going to bring in someone else. You know, something like that.
0: I can absolutely see that working. I personally haven't done that. I could see myself doing that. I think just the way I plan campaigns is I try to have an end in mind. And, you know, with that comes the big bad guy. So I usually have a pretty good idea of who that's going to be. But I think, you know, I might even present it the same way. Um, spoilers maybe not really i mean willis in the campaign you're in i have an idea of who the big bad guy is and i feel like you guys don't but
2: i can i can i have a similar experience going on in my game if you want to use an example without spoiling it for for willis
0: that's about all i was gonna say but uh, yeah go ahead
2: legacy of golden leaves people turn off the video now or the podcast <laughs> uh, like i i in my game that i'm running uh i've basically i've had a villain in mind for actually years. I've, this is the third time I've tried to run this game. Uh, but it's uh, sort of the ideas I'm sort of going along is they have interacted with minor villains already and even BBEGs of smaller arcs. But I, have, I, I know who my high tier villain is at this point and I've been sprinkling uh, information on them or information relevant to them the entire time I've been playing. He's got a series of... MacGuffins, or plot coupons, or whatever you want to call them, and and they've already found one. They don't know what it is, and they don't have it anymore, but they've interacted with it. They've met servants of this character, they've met uh, characters that utilize the same power as he will, and it's just, over the course of this game, I'm going to introduce more and more of these, and uh, allow the party to sort of try and put these puzzle pieces that I've been scattering across the continent together themselves, until they... Eventually, get to actually meet the character, uh, yeah. which should be a l- hopefully not too much longer. But we'll see what happens. And I think that's a real neat way to do it because I, I'm, I, I, it's sort of the same thing we we're talking about earlier. You introduce the lieutenants or the servants of your guy, and you just sort of scale up. And with this guy being the, the biggest guy in, in in town, I don't want to introduce them to him right away. They don't even know he exists at this point, but they will. Yeah. They will soon. I,
0: I don't know if he's commented on it, but I have a theory about how Matt Mercer designs his campaigns and villains. Um, just, just from watching like early campaign two, I feel like he throws out a bunch of potential plot points or threads because in early campaign two, the, the party found hints about gods of hunger and, People in the party had a uh, ties to incredibly powerful entities, and then they found out there was a whole host on that same level this character was tied to. And I think Matt has a very open mind, and throws out all these kind of like all this bait, and then sees what the party is most interested in and starts pursuing, and then he fleshes it out. And I, again, I I don't think he's commented on it, but just watching it, it seems so so clear because it seems very unstructured, but in a good way. It seems like he's giving him all these different options.
2: Yeah, I actually kind of noticed that too in in campaign one specifically, because there were definitely a lot of dark, evil uh, things that are getting dropped in and about, and I don't think all of them got covered. I can't think of all of them at the moment, but there was only the uh, one of Orcus's horns was still unaccounted for at the end of that campaign. Uh, Oh, wow. uh, And they whereas like those were a a lot of the I mean, Vecna... The, the penultimate villain of that of that game got his sort of uh foreshadowing dropped in like an episode 30 oh yeah real real early and it just didn't come up until it's like oh shit wait hold on a minute that's for Vecna
0: that does seem like a pretty smart way to do it because like if um if you have I mean kind of like what I'm doing right now if you have one big villain in mind and the whole campaign is based around getting to the point of setting them up and introducing them and fighting them. And if the party like isn't interested, like you threw put a lot of effort into one like plot point, and hopefully it pans out. Uh, you know, compared to giving them the option to pursue what threats they want and then building it up to sort of match their interest, uh, it, it seems like a, a smart way to do it. Something I want to try in the future.
2: Another way you could do it, and this is the way I'm doing it with my game, is um, you sort of make when you give your campaign pitch, uh, even if you don't bring up your villain in that pitch, make sure that your villain is tied to whatever you talked about there. Like, uh, when I pitched Legacy of Golden Leaves, once again, friends, players, stop mm-hmm. listening. Uh, I gave them the pitch about the ancient world wreathed in golden leaves and how the the golden wood was a beautiful forest that got burned down and your the game's called Legacy of Golden Leaves as they sort of live in the remnants of this world a thousand years later and the ramifications of what happened there and so my villain is intimately tied to that event and when he shows up it's i know they're going to be interested in him because when they when i pitched this game to them they were interested in it
0: yeah I mean, yeah, that's definitely seems like a setting where it's there's less wiggle room, and that's again not necessarily a bad thing, but just like it, it's so integral to the setting. Yep. Do you guys um something I think about is in classic literature, um, or just you know standard literature, villains usually oppose characters in a very direct way. Um. Especially in terms of like uh, their morality or beliefs as a whole, I always think about Batman and the Joker, right? Order and chaos. Um, is it possible to create a villain that opposes the party from a like philosophical standpoint when the party yeah. is a group of misfits and might have totally different views?
1: So I think it's it's possible to do that, but to be able to do that, you have to be getting a really strong sort of reading from your players of where they stand in relation to, you know, things like that. Like, are they, you know, help the poor? Are they this and that? And I think a lot of times you have party members that their characters have differing views even. So it, it can be hard to set up a villain that opposes them as a whole when they are, you know, kind of a little bit scattered. Usually mm-hmm. going back to your, uh, Batman Joker analogy,
2: the way I sort of like to do it is I don't, I, I, with my BBEGs, my main villain of the game, I don't really specifically target them to specific ideologies of the party. Cause like we said, they're going to, there's going to be some variation in, uh, how each individual member of the party works. Like, uh, going back to the Batman example, if, uh, joker opposed the justice league that's batman's party he's not necessarily going to have that same ideological clash with say superman or wonder woman but in its instances where the joker opposes the justice league that is almost always a batman-centric arc because that is batman's foil uh and when so that's sort of the way i would do it is you can bring in minor villains uh, to clash with the party that are maybe the foil of individual characters. And they're not going to be your overarching villain of your game, but it'll be allow you to give one or two sessions to engage that player and uh, get them involved in your setting in this this villain. And then later on, you can bring in Darkseid, who has a much broader <laughs> scope of, uh, of his villainy that's not foiling any individual character. But I'm positive every single member of the Justice League is probably not cool with Darkseid... Uh, conquering or blowing up their planet
0: probably yeah i think about that a lot too like do you think by um by definition a villain that threatens the whole party has to be a little
1: blander um i think it's certainly it's 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 hard to have that like sort of agreeable villain when it's the whole party because for for the party to really hate the guy, you got to be, like, really heavy-handed with it. Or if you want them to kind of sympathize with it, you have to make him sort of really sympathetic. Like, I feel like to be able to encompass the whole party, you have to be really heavy-handed with the villains if you want them to be everybody. Which can sometimes make them seem kind of like they're boring or you know, stereotypical or cliche or whatever.
0: I think at that point, you might need to just kind of roll back to what we were saying at the beginning is just think of them as a character and a hero. So build up their personality before you think about the bigger implications of what they represent. Because I think of characters like Thanos, who obviously was like the culmination of 20 plus movies in the MCU. And I think he's characterized great. He clearly opposes all of these heroes and all these characters um, but he isn't bland. He, you really understand his, like, philosophy and even his personality. Um, and then, on the other hand, you've got fucking... Who's the guy from Justice League? Stroganoff? What, what the hell is he? Stormageddon? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. <laughs> That's what it is. Who is so just... I couldn't tell you a single line that that character said. He was so just, I am evil. Hello. Hello and i think yeah you can build up a personality and then they'll be memorable
2: exactly and like and and i guess i wasn't trying to say with my bit that they need to be bland and generic and i'm trying to blow up the world but
0: uh oh i know i was just i was just throwing out my thoughts yeah
2: yeah but i think it's probably a folly to try and have your bbeg be a foil to any one member of the party because then everybody else in the party is like oh i'm not the main character yeah and that's, that's think, not a good feeling to have if you've been investing a year in the game. It's like, ah, damn, it's not my story.
0: I almost think you could do that on a, a smaller scale. So, like, um, you know, the first Avengers film, the main antagonist is Loki, who is clearly from, like, Thor's backstory. If you're thinking about this in, like, a DD party composition, he's from Thor's backstory. I think that that's a cool little arc. Everyone's opposing this bit, this bad guy from one player's backstory. And the way to do it is like, you know, in an arc or two, have another villain be from another character's backstory. It's kind of, in a a weird way, it's that player's time to shine, you know, because uh, their foil appeared. (coughs) Um, It's something I've also messed around is the idea of like making a, essentially a league of villains composed Mm -hmm. entirely of villains from players' backstories. (laughs) I guess the masters of evil Mm -hmm. (laughs) i haven't quite done it because it's it almost seems too convenient especially if the if the party is thrown together through like you know coincidence and circumstance it seems even weirder if all these characters from their backstories were also thrown together through circumstance so i think a better way to do it maybe is to do characters they've met along the way so like if they've run into a goblin chieftain who they spared his life or maybe he got away he shows up in a in another couple arcs and he's allied himself with the new threat which is a vampire lord and he's missing an eye because the party disfigured him and if you can like build up a, a personal league of villains i think that would be super memorable yeah you can't all, still all these characters them. they've wronged
2: you can still use characters from the backstory as well too because i mean presumably they're going to show up at some point and uh if the character's foil shows up, let them get away, and then they can go join the the Injustice League.
1: And <laughs> yeah, I guess you. Oh, go ahead. Well, guys. I was just gonna, I was going to say about the um, characters being from the backstory, and um, I think it's you could even have your BBEG be from somebody's backstory because you know Thanos and uh, Gamora have you know their history there, and I think as long as your villain does, you know, something to the other players to make them be on the same page where it's like, oh, this guy is, you know, he's just as much, you know, I I want him down just as much as this character whose backstory he's from. Or or yeah. even, like, maybe sneaky, sneak him into the other player's backstory. Maybe their their parents were killed in a barn fire and then the, the character's... You know they didn't. They didn't think about it, but maybe all of a sudden that barn fire was set by one of the minions of this guy um, because there it was, was me, Barry. I, I was gonna say the
0: same thing. I was gonna say the exact same thing, Nathan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> gotcha. I, I know where you're at. It was me,
0: Willis. Do you know what, the, what we're talking about? It sounds familiar. It's the fucking, It's this fucking meme with the reverse flash. Who I guess it was in a comic. It's just this infamous panel where he's revealing that everything wrong, everything that ever went wrong in Barry's life, was because of the reverse flash. Remember everywhere. that time
2: you put in that pizza in the microwave and it was there for a minute? You took a <laughs> bite and it was still cold? It was me, Barry. <laughs> I was that pizza. <laughs>
0: oh my God. That's my, uh, I think no one way. of my
2: favorite memes on the internet.
0: It's so good. You're totally right, though, Willis. Like, if you can sell the rest of the party on how much of an asshole this is, sure. Make it. Uh, make some one character from someone's backstory be the big villain because, like, yeah, the the other side of that is like, if they just show up and they're just being evil as stated in the other character's backstory, the rest of the party's like, well, okay, I guess we're doing this guy's backstory, and oh, it's the culmination of the whole game. I guess this character was the main player or the main character the whole time. Cool. Not super what you want.
1: No. And and that's it's you know it'd be tricky to to weave them in there um, and you would definitely have to have like some, you know, foresight and lay the, lay the seeds for it. You can't just you know plop them in there and yeah. you, you expect everybody to get on board.
0: You know, as, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that I've probably done something unfortunately similar in the last campaign I ran with you guys. I've mentioned it before, but the big bad guy was the, like a, an elder God who was the embodiment of hunger and he tied in very, very closely to another character's backstory. This character thought they were half elf. Eventually, was revealed to be an Azimar. Their father was a full Azimar, and like the last of his kind. Mm-hmm. We we'll won't get into all of it, mm-hmm. but obviously, that player had more ties to the big bad guy than you guys did. Question um, for you, Willis: Did that end up working okay? Because obviously, I-, I tried to set up this this elder god mm-hmm. as threatening the world and he was approaching it and you guys knew that for a long time
1: so I, I don't know if i can really speak to the other players in there but it worked fine for me and my character um because you you actually did tie it in a little bit to my character who was a warlock whose uh patron was the elder god of like knowledge and in you revealed at some point that that elder god of knowledge was actually eaten by the elder god of hunger so i was like oh shoot oh, oh my god
0: i think you were having you were having like communion with it like normal and then a big fucking like eldritch colossal mm-hmm. cosmic mouth ate your patron <laughs> yeah.
1: which was alarming to say the least
0: oh yeah and then i think it just like stared at you right yeah every
1: every other time i went and tried to like do anything with my patron. It was just like watching me, and mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't quite figure it out right away. Was part of it too.
0: I think I don't know if I ever like super made it obvious, but part of the implication is that it found Earth because of you. Oh ooh. <laughs>
1: no, that was I definitely did not pick up on that. That uh, oof.
0: Yeah, it it knew where you were.
1: <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
0: um something I think about sometimes is like different kinds of villains you can do in terms of what they're threatening, because you can have like, to go back to comics, once again, you can have like a physically threatening villain, like Bane or more of a socially threatening villain, like, uh, like Lex Luthor, honestly. I mean, obviously sometimes he physically threatens Superman. He makes a fucking mech suit and uses kryptonite, but you know, other times he gets elected president. Yeah. And that's, what is a bigger fucking like societal threat than your villain being the president? Yeah, it's that's not...
1: it's it's like sure I could just you know beat the tar out of you, or I could be your boss and mm. how are you going to deal with that? By the way,
2: Superman is illegal now. Yeah, <laughs> executive order, bitch.
0: Do you guys like mixing those two, or like keeping them sort of one and the same? Because like, how would you you know how would you feel about an arc that sets up Lex Luthor as an untouchable president and then Superman confronts him and Lex throws on a suit and now they're punching each other. That almost, to me, it almost seems like a, an undercut of the tones and the themes that were exist or presented before.
2: Well, I would say, uh, I think, I think that's fine. As long as you make it clear that um, there's going to be repercussions for going to beat up the president, the secret Service is there for a reason. <laughs> if Superman just shows up and it's like, all right, Lex, let's duke it out. And Lex is like, yeah, we can fight. You'll probably kick my ass, but I know you won't kill me and everyone's watching. Mm-hmm. And how's, how super, like what's, there's going to be some negative press on Superman for that. And you could sort of like do the same thing. You, like you can have a local prominent politician at your big city who is very obviously anti-party and uh, you know, it, it's, they're making it difficult for the party to do stuff. And if the party marches down to, to the castle, swords drawn, well, they're going to be in trouble.
1: Oh yeah. Um, so here's, Here's kind of my take on that, is that um, if you have a villain that's set up in a way that makes the, the party hard to, it's hard for the party to touch them through, you know, means other than just physical, it's, make that kind of the main battle where the party is trying to take them down, make them fall from grace, and then once they achieve that... Then the, the, the bad guy is like, Well, you may have taken my status, but you'll never beat my super suit, and then the party <laughs> dukes it out. It's like you want to have that fight. Yeah.
0: Like once they're they're backed into a corner, nothing left to mm-hmm. lose. I Yeah.
2: I'd say I think there there's still merit in having a social climax to it, though it's like maybe maybe the party's been fighting them by going out and doing standard adventuring stuff and procuring evidence of their wrongdoing. Like, this villain's been scheming and under-the-table dealings in the background. And I think um, a a fight at the end is certainly super satisfying, but if you were going for, like, more of a political social game, I think uh, a social encounter to finish off is really good, too. Like, you'd show up at City Hall and you slam down the evidence to the table and say, I have evidence that proves that King Nogginoggle has been engaging in under-the-table dealings... And paying goblins to harass the citizenry. Then the audience gasps as as (sighs) the the other courtiers are like, is this true King Noggerknuckle? And it's like, no, it's not. And there's there's, there's a whole scene there that could be really cool. And maybe it ends in a fight. But I think if you could swing that, like, a cool social encounter to finish that off as well, I think that could be just as satisfying.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, like... Um, places for any one of these sort of like climaxes to work all along the scale of physical threat to social threat and and how you resolve that, I think ultimately it probably depends on like your campaign and your players. Um, I think in my in my current campaign there would certainly be a couple players who'd be disappointed if it wasn't a physical encounter. Uh, that's just you know what I've picked up on <laughs> and based on what they like in in games. That's not a bad thing at all. Like you know it's D and D. You've there's a lot of Focus on the combat for a reason. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't play it's, it's a barbarian
2: to to, to to talk to people in court. That's not.
0: Yeah. But the fun thing about D anD D is like, you know, sub, uh, not quite. Maybe it is sub- subverting it. But like you said, Nathan, like a, a social climax can be interesting, and especially like in a, a campaign full of combat um, resolutions, having a, a big social one would be memorable, certainly, and like. Yeah, probably just something to gauge. If the party has a really, really cool plan on how to like out the corrupted mayor, just roll with it. If they seem jazzed about it, Uh, go for yeah, it.
1: Yeah, and I didn't mean to imply that it's always got to come to blows, but that, oh, yeah, of course not. No. that is a place yeah, no. you can go with it that would be, you know. Yeah, it's
0: all like a, a sliding scale as far as I'm concerned. I think any anywhere along it can work. Yeah,
1: like, honestly, anytime I get a question about d and I have to fight my first response, which is almost always, well, it depends. <laughs> well, I mean, that's... I mean, that's true, though. Yeah. It is. What is your party
2: like? That's sort of my... Uh, my, my instinct. and sort of same same deal.
0: Yeah. I've said it before, but I've got a, a way I like to run D&D, but that is not the one way to run it. And if anyone tells you there's only one way to run D&D, uh... they're wrong as far as i'm concerned
1: yeah hell, all, all the
0: all the rules are just guidelines no there's only one way and it's
1: my way where i win <laughs> hell I've, I've i've played like
2: when i back in my three five days when i learned to play it was basically all all munchkinning that was mm. that was the way it was and that's i didn't know there was any other way and uh Can
0: you define munchkinning munchkinning for me
2: uh, min maxing yeah uh you know building ah. entirely like not really role playing at all. Building an optimal character and going to kill monsters and just get loot and stuff.
1: Playing it like it's a, a video game.
2: Have yeah. you have you played the board game Munchkin? <laughs> yes, or the card no. game. Yes. That, that, that's oh, I know of it. Yeah, it's it's that sort of it, that's making fun of of D anD D, and it plays similarly to <laughs> that sort of trope of well, I kick down the door, I kill all the goblins, and I take the treasure. what's the next door? <laughs> uh,
0: there was a, there's a I was reading a book called a uh, Mog World. Written by Yahtzee Croshaw. I don't know if you guys ever listen to Zero Punctuation.
2: Definitely, definitely have.
0: Uh, so he he wrote a book, um, and spoilers for the book Mog World. Um, do you guys care? No. Halfway through, it's revealed that so, so the main character is like a. The book starts off and he's resurrected from a tomb by an evil necromancer. And it's just him working for this evil necromancer in an army of the undead. And it just plays on a lot of like, D&D and fantasy tropes. And halfway through the book, he realizes he's in an RPG, like an MMO RPG. And there's been this reoccurring thing about the afflicted, which are adventurers that slowly get corrupt. And then they just become very like stone-faced and only want gold and money. And it becomes pretty obvious that these are player characters <laughs> who just in and demand money and save people and then run away again. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that's awesome. It's really funny. Um, villains. Ah, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We were talking Welcome about that. Welcome to the, the book podcast. So I have kind of a uh, – this is a pretty far in a different direction, but it's something that I feel like is at least worth exploring. Um, how do you guys – or like kind of what's your guys' take on campaigns where the party are the bad guys and the villain is not really a bad guy
0: do you mean like is is it a twist that they're the bad guys or is the premise you guys are an evil campaign from
1: the, very from the, the from the get go they they know they're the bad guys
0: i have personally never run a campaign like that. I've got some ideas. Um I, I don't I've heard so many horror stories of people trying Stop to do that. this and you know yes. because it's a because it's a evil campaign everyone ends up killing each other in the first 10 minutes because <laughs> we're all evil. Um I think what I would do honestly is have everyone be underlings or minions of a bigger villain because and I feel like this is even a trope in, in comic books. When the League of Evil shows up, I feel like it's it's a trope for one of them to fry another one. Like, villains just don't typically get along. They're egotistical and power-hungry and maybe a little crazy and murderous.
1: Just a little murderous. I, I think,
0: yeah, if you can like have everyone be on the same page from the get-go, as in they're all working for your dark side, and their underlings for him. I feel like that negates a bit of the threat of people all murdering each other right away. Yeah,
2: I think it definitely it's definitely a bit of a trope and a a, a horror story that you your evil party just all turns on each other. But I think that's more of you know back to episode one uh, communication error. It's miscommunication in uh, people not really I guess understanding the evil alignment if you're. What, when it really gets down to it, we're sitting down to play a collaborative storytelling game and people should be playing characters that even if their alignment is evil, can work together to accomplish a singular goal. And maybe the way you solve that is you put them serving one particular uh, villain and that, that has a lot of interesting implications. Like maybe they keep working for him to the end and or maybe they turn on him. Uh, but when it comes down to it, if you're in a game where the party turns on each other at the drop of a hat... Uh, I don't want to say you're playing D&D wrong, but nobody's going to have fun with that unless it's yeah. unless it's a one-shot in which case have at it.
0: And here's the thing, like if you're if the party are the villains in the terms of a grander sense, I don't think they're technically the villains because in terms of story structure, the villain is something or and antagonist is something that opposes the main characters. So just cuz your party is evil aligned they, the villains still have villains, you know? It's just a matter of perspective. So the good-aligned party you might throw at them that's going to try to stop them, they're technically the villains simply because they're opposing the party. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah,
1: protagonist could easily scientist. be
2: And it could yeah. quite a, a easily be, like, another villain is their opposition. Maybe they're, it's mm. a political game down in the drow city of menzo and and another opposing house is... Uh, vying for power, and you've got to fight them. And they're still evil. You're still evil, but uh, uh, I mean, like we we're you mentioned before, uh, evil characters can't squabble with one another, and this this would be oh, an yeah. instance to utilize that. For, or for sure. you have
1: that instance of like, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a bad guy, but that guy, whoa, oh, <laughs> he really takes it to another <sighs> level.
2: What, what's the uh, yeah. what's the comic that a Joker met Red Skull and it's like, I might be crazy, but I'm an American. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, you were a real Nazi this whole time? Screw you, dude.
0: Yeah, I think about um. also like uh, some of the thousands of times Magneto has joined the X-Men to help them out, you mm. know? You can always kind of uh, mix up your alliances, even if temporarily.
2: Oh yeah, I think uh, villain... So my favorite kinds of stories, period, are tragedies and redemptions. And uh, watching a a good character turn to darkness is tragic and sad. And it's all the more satisfying when uh, an evil character, uh, you know, is is finally able to turn away from their their evil ways and and help the the, the party out.
0: Redemption arcs can be super fun. Uh, Zuko from Avatar, right? A classic. Or... What was the dude from Digimon, the Emperor?
2: Oh, uh, I uh, know Kenji, Emperor. Mon. I
0: think it was something like that. But yeah, the, the Digimon Emperor in like the second season of of Digimon had a really good redemption arc too. You know, from being the straight up villain of the series to joining them and helping them. The point where uh, oh, you know, a really uh, good h- one. Even his
2: Digimon fused with the main characters.
1: No, classic. No. <laughs> what were you saying I was just going to make a joke oh you know a really good redemption arc was that, uh, that Kylo guy oh man that was a great one. Oh, we don't want to get right. into this <laughs> good god we'll get cancelled
0: uh, I'm. it's fu- taking every ounce of my willpower to not talk about Star Wars <laughs> anyway um, so- something I don't know if we've touched on quite enough um is making your villains hateable, if possible. Mm. A villain I always think about as being, like, the most hateable goddamn villain in history is Dolores Umbridge, yeah. who I think is clearly, like, more hateable than Voldemort. And you can debate, like, which one's more effective, and obviously Voldemort's more powerful in terms of, like, just power level. But why is Dolores so hateable?
1: It's I, I... I think... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's, she's just, it's so relatable, the level of, like, hate, it, it, like, it makes it super real, because it's like, in everyday life, we don't often deal with a Dark Lord that's trying to murder us for being born, but we've all <sighs> met a Dolores.
2: Yeah. It's, it's also sort of uh, along the same lines, uh, Voldemort spends a majority of that movie off screen, just sort of doing dark lord things we don't we don't know what he's up to we just know he's up to something whereas umbridge is like right in their face pretty much the whole movie messing with them at every opportunity to hinder them and hamper them and just make life miserable for them mm-hmm. and it make
0: and then she's so smug about it <laughs> i think that's a big part of it she she loves being evil she revels in well, it. well
1: and, and she also she thinks that she's being good too like is part of it she do you think so? I think in her own mind, what she's doing is for the greater good. Uh,
2: another Another character like this, and nobody here's gonna get it is the, the character of Wynne from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, who's sort of the same type of character. She uh, shows up every few episodes and just starts getting uh, making life difficult for people on the station. And she does that for seven whole seasons. Uh, and it's, she sort of, I think for me, generates the same amount of hate that Dolores Umbridge does in that one movie. And it's, it's, uh, and it's because she's, though not actively opposing the main characters and their primary goal, she's on sort of this more micro level, this more personal level, showing up and saying, Oh no, you can't do that. The prophets won't allow it. Uh, here, let me rile up the, the Bajoran people against
0: you. I think characters like I can't speak to the Star Trek character because I haven't seen it, but I think characters like this are the perfect example of a social villain Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's perfectly acceptable for Harry to duel Voldemort, but he can't just fucking cast spells at at, at Umbridge. She's a teacher Mm -hmm. at a school. She's in a position of power and there's nothing he can outwardly do apart from, you know, be be snarky at her. And then there's immediate repercussions. He gets thrown into tension and
1: uh, literally tortured. Yeah.
0: Yeah. God, she's, I kind of, I could talk about Dolores for a long time. She is so evil and she loves what she's doing. That's definitely an aspect of it is how you're, Willis, like you said, she's so smug about it.
1: Yeah. So, well, since we're getting kind of close to the end here, there's something else I wanted to throw at you guys while we're talking about hating and loving villains. There was one villain that um, I experienced, uh, playing Borderlands, it was Handsome Jack, and he was just so great for me because his character was just—I—I loved his character. He was—he was funny and he was snarky and he was, you know, like charismatic. But the things that he did to the players made you hate him. And it was just such a like fun villain because it's just like you loved him but you hated him.
0: Love to hate mm-hmm. him.
1: Yeah, uh,
2: those charismatic villains, man. It, it's, I also
0: think of a. Uh hans gruber from die hard played by the the late alan rickman mm. i don't know i don't know if you guys have seen that um you must have, oh, have. Yeah. he's charismatic but then like on the flip of a dime murders people and you never really know what he's thinking but he's a delight to watch villains like that like unpredictable yeah can can be really fun to mess with i think um Something I wanted to touch on quickly because we do got to wrap kind of soon. You've got your perfect, like, social villains who you can't really touch, but then I have an idea of what your, like, perfect, uh, physically threatening villain could be. And I picture scenes where, like, the first time you meet them, the villain completely thrashes your party, and then it's sort of an anime trope. You know, the party is so beneath them, it's not even worth killing them, and they just move on. God, I feel like that elicits some real hate. Oh, Though yeah, oh, there is yeah. a fear of getting into the cutscene. Well, maybe. Nathan and Willis, do you guys think it's it's in poor taste to set up a fight that you hundred percent plan for the party to lose?
2: I have I have I have a few thoughts on this. I elect not to do this most for, for a couple of reasons. The the first one being it kinda sucks as the player. In a in a story where you are not in the place of the hero where you're watching this anime character get their shit kicked in and it's like, oh that really sucks. I feel bad for them. But if you're in phys- if you're invested in this character that you've made and you lose your agency to this fight that you are unable to win, that kinda sucks. I if handled well, I'm sure it can be good, but I personally as a player probably wouldn't jive with that a whole lot. And the other mm-hmm. reasons the exact opposite. Anytime you present your villain to the party, you need to be cool with the possibility that your party kills your villain. The the possibility, it's it's low, but it is non-zero.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is is kind of my take on it, is, um, like, yeah, you have to be aware of all that stuff. And I think rather than setting it up to, instead of setting it up, for your players to get their shit kicked in, maybe just use it as a backdoor in case your characters get their, you know, collective butts handed to them. And then you say like, oh, well it was, you know, they're, they're, they're letting you go now. It's just a way to avoid a TPK and it will make your players hate them that much more. You want to get them Mm -hmm. in the end.
2: Yeah. If, if, if they happen to lose the first encounter with them, it's a good opportunity for, uh, the villain to sneer down their nose them and just mutter pathetic before walking <laughs> off all high and mighty uh but i think setting up a situation where the villain is going to win uh is dangerous mm. in a, definitely in, in a couple different ways
0: can you guys think of a, a better way to set up a physically intimidating villain without Crossing blades with the party, so oh. to speak.
1: Cross blades with party, the party, people. The party, know. Yep. Have them kill either a bad guy that they were struggling with super easily, or Ooh. maybe somebody that they look up to as you know a really tough character. They squash up. Have them uh, march into the home, into the
2: party's home base or the city that they uh, are spending most of their time. Uh, kill a ton of people, steal something important, uh, set up a main quest line, and set these characters up as somebody not to be fucked with.
0: I think you touched on something I was just thinking, Nathan, um, show the party, the aftermath of this character. So they walk into the tavern and every single person has a single crossbow bolt in their heart. It's like, Holy shit. What happened here? (laughs) Not a single bolt was wasted. There's no like strays in the walls or anything. One bolt per person who the hell did this or what did this or an entire city is sieged, you know, uh, you come into the ruins of a city and what, like, we were here a week ago and it was fine. Why is it destroyed now? And the, the survivors talk about a dragon that came through.
2: Another uh, way is um, this is, of course, stepping on that danger that I mentioned earlier is you can present your villain to the party, but uh, rather than, you know, kicking their ass and leaving maybe the villains there for something else. Like uh, I think Matt Colville has talked before about his uh, Caval the Vile villain who, you know, in session one, party's level one dude walks into a tavern uh, and basically, just demands sacrifices from the innkeeper, who very quickly gives to his demands uh, and uh, gives what he's there for, and he leaves. And uh, you know, you describe the, the how imposing this villain is, and how f- afraid everyone is. And it, it I, if the party chooses to get into a direct confrontation, then that's their call.
1: Mm. Yeah, Cheers. and
2: it's and if they get their ass handed to them there. I don't, as a DM, necessarily feel as bad because I gave them warnings up beforehand saying, alright, this guy's really scary, he's got fire in his eyes and darkness hanging around him like a cloak and you're level one. Here's here's
1: one that I've got which kind of came to me. Have your villain show up with, like, maybe five or six or a number of like bodyguards or um, generals or just, you know, his personal guard or minions or whatever and then the the big bad sees the party and he sends one of his villains you know one of his guys to fight the party and then you know if it's you know kind of beef it up to be a boss fight but then you know they if they struggle with this one guy they're like "Oh, oh my god this was just one of his guys and he commands six of them
0: yeah, there's just a guy in the back sneering and commanding others.
2: Yeah, do it sorta of like how uh, our who who would win does it, where you know you you <laughs> you've got your your minor lieutenant villain present him with measurable feats and then uh, you make it very clear that his boss is stronger than he is, or mm-hmm. like by either actually like showing it or implying it.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, I think of um the Frieza saga from Dragon Ball Z. Like the the Ginyu Force worked for Frieza, and the Ginyu Force kicked the shit out of a lot of the main characters, and that's threatening in its own right. But in the back of your mind, you're still thinking the whole time, "Holy shit, they still have Frieza! Like, and he's clearly stronger than these guys because these guys, ooh, you know what's really effective about that? These characters that are kicking the shit out of the uh main characters are scared of this other character. Like they're visibly afraid. I oh, that's such a cool way to set up. Like, oh my god, how strong is this guy? Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of what I was uh, going for with uh, the lieutenant. Yeah,
2: yeah. There, there are a no, lot. That's, of, that's
0: a, good, a great example.
2: A lot of real good ways to sort of set up this physically threatening villain, uh, without potentially make, uh getting someone hurt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, physical villains, social villains, a lot of way to make them personal. I think uh, now. We're going to move on to our first uh, question that was sent in by a listener. Hey. Oh, hell yeah.
2: Maybe It wasn't me. I forgot again.
0: It was definitely not sent in by someone I know personally that I reached out to. <laughs> Absolutely not. I've never, never heard of this Petra Mitchell. Never heard of her. Okay. Let's go ahead and listen to her question.
1: Hi. Um, what are some... Tips that you can give to um, DMs, uh, especially DMs who are just starting out, for sort of, I guess you could say, homebrewing
0: rules for DD. Like, let's say you make an
1: entire race or something or um, an entire creature that's brand new for the game, but you want to add your own stats and abilities to
0: it, how would you go about doing that and still making sure it's somewhat balanced and not either super weak that gets... One shotted or the reverse, where
1: one shots the players.
0: <laughs> That's a great question, Petra. Thank you for for sending that in. Um, I think what first of all, what you want to do is look at real features and abilities that monsters already have in the monster manual. Like quite literally, just copy it word for word. They're balanced. Um, they're play tested. Don't get too crazy with your first home brews just kind of frankenstein stuff together
2: i would say even go safer than that uh for my some of my first homebrews i just took a pre existing entire stat box and would either make small modifications to to suit my purpose or i would just rename the monster and say this is something else and it looks like this but it functions identically to this other creature and if you don't find anything of course that works for that then uh uh, then you c- you can still, you have those uh, this variety of stat blocks like Charles was
1: saying, and you can just Frankenstein together and I find that um, one of the biggest things is you gotta really think long and hard about whether you really need this homebrew monster or this, you know, villain to be homebrew and if the answer is you know, like there's, I want it to be able to do this thing that doesn't exist anywhere in the books then it's it, you know, it takes a lot of like balancing to get the, the books to where they are. So you've you got to be real careful and think long and hard and maybe even test it out a little bit. And if it comes down to it that the monster is it's just too powerful for your party um, or you're getting halfway through it and it's kicking the party's butt and you haven't even used half its abilities, they don't know what that lock is. So you can just tweak things on the fly. And that would, you know, that comes with practice. Um, but the more you do it, yeah. the better, the better you get at it.
2: I'd also like to uh, throw a shout out here to page two hundred and seventy-four of the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, where it does actually have some, not perfect, but rules for doing exactly this for how to generate a monster mm-hmm. with uh, a specific challenge rating using only its, uh, basically, armor class, hit points, attack bonus, and damage. Oh, yeah. So I, I'd encourage checking that out if you need to start from scratch. But like I said, it's not perfect, and I think for the first first homebrews, I think tweaking existing stat blocks is the safest way to go.
0: Um, Touching on what you said earlier, Nathan, just kind of changing minor things counts as homebrew. Like, um, I, I threw a, a flesh golem against the party that... Uh, typically, flesh golems, when they take lightning damage, they're healed, and if they take fire damage, they have disadvantage on attacks. I had them fight one that was like, uh, there was smoke pouring out of it, and fire damage healed it, and cold damage gave it disadvantage. And hey, that's a homebrew monster, straight up. I did other things, but that that tweak alone is a homebrew now. And stuff like that's also fun to uh to have veteran play, like throw veteran players through a a, a loop. Is that the term? Yeah. Just to sort of uh, keep them on their toes, and so they're not assuming things.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing because I. Have been DMing this game since it released, uh, and so <laughs> a, a lot of times I'll see a monster and I'll uh, kind of know how to handle it. But uh, it's it's nice when the dungeon master mixes things up on me and I don't know how to handle it.
0: Yeah, because that that's hard to avoid metagaming If you know a flesh golem's weak to fire, and you're like, ah, but with my character? But eh, it, it gets weird. So just changing stuff up can uh, can mess with people. Um. One last thing I want to throw out is um pay attention to CR and try to really understand what the CR rating of something means, the challenge rating. There's a very, very handy resource called Kobold Fight Club, which I use all the time, which you can you can search for so many monsters in 5e and search by different like type of monster and size and CR. If you have an idea of what like CR creature you should be throwing at your party. Look at other creatures of that same CR. Get a look for the average health for something of that CR, as well as their stats. So like, like their strength index and all that, and then put something around that same, just that same range.
1: And uh, I was gonna say that something else that CR doesn't take into account, but what is very important in a fight, is action economy. So you can you can make a creature that just is. You know, un- it's unbelievably hard, but has a relatively small health pool. And if the players all roll high on initiative, and they, you know, crush it before it gets a turn, or it misses its one turn to the players four, then it it, it doesn't matter really how how strong it is if it's getting mm-hmm. you know not as, enough turns. We could I could probably go on for
2: homebrew and stuff for a long time. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should do an episode on it. I
0: was point. just about to say, I, I think yeah. homebrew is, is such an interesting topic that we should do a full episode at some point. So I think I've caught ourselves a little a little short before we go too long. Um, but again, thank you for sending that in, Petra. Uh, <laughs> I do want to appreciate throw
2: a couple more things just very quick. Uh, going off of uh, Willis's comment on action economy, but that I don't want to go too much into, but I encourage Matt Colville's video bot Action-Oriented Monsters to sort of get the premise of what I would discuss. And also, in reference to Cobalt Fight Club, d d Beyond also has a, a CR calculator, uh, mm. because I'm afraid of the wizard's band hammer. Uh, just wanted to make sure to mention that as well.
0: <laughs> anyway, that, that's all I all got right. now. Very good. Uh, th- thanks again, Petra. Appreciate it. Thank you. I think that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. Don't forget, if you want to send in your own question and hear your own voice in an episode... You can go to our Twitter account, where the Order of Initiative on Twitter. the uh, The link to submit questions is right to the at the very top of our account, pinned there. Next week, we're going to be coming back and talking about designing player backstories and how to help sort of guide your players with that creation. But I think that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. Thank you. See you then. Thank you.